Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. Restory, Episode 5. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Now they have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. Today, I am happy to welcome my friend, Yancey McGregor, who has some very important things to share with those of you who have struggled with um, one particular thing in your life. And again, I don't want to give away the story, so I'm not going to say much more, but she is eloquent. She is faithful to God. She is honest, and she has weathered a very difficult storm. So I pray that her words will give you courage today. So let's listen to Yancey's story. All right, I am so excited today to be with Yancey McGregor. She lives in Montreal, Canada, and she is awesome. And we became friends because my husband has been leading some trips up there from Dallas. And uh, this summer we got to lead, uh, this was really funny because my husband has always vowed that he would never be a youth pastor. It's like totally not his gift. And our church asked us to basically bring about 16, 16-year-old girls <laughs> to Montreal. And it was really fun to see Patrick interact with them. He would tease them all the time, which was funny, so that the girls would even look at me and they would say, is he teasing me right now? Is he teasing me right now? I'm like, yes, every time he says something, he's teasing you. So anyway, so they got to have that experience with him, but I also got to spend more time with Yancey at that time and got to hear a little bit more about her story. And so as I've been praying about this podcast, I thought of her because she has a unique story and I thought it would just bless so many of you. So Yancey, thanks so much for coming on today. It is great to be with you. Thank you. So let's go back a little bit. Just tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, you know, where I know it's, you know, kind of an unusual place where you grew up and uh, when you met Jesus. Well, I grew up in Childress, Texas. And if you don't know where that is, that's for good reason, because it's a town (laughs) of 6,000 people in the northern part of Texas. My grandparents are cattle ranchers, and I grew up going to the church with my parents. And right around the time when they divorced, I was 10 years old. All during that time, I really felt just a closeness to Jesus. Like I felt that it was in the messages at the church, you know how you hear during communion, them talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. And I started to really feel that and really think about and ponder his suffering. And it was, it was really making an impact on me to think about and, and probably looking back on it as I was going through a hard time as a 10 year old child whose parents were divorcing, but thinking about even this common idea that Jesus had suffering in his life. I don't, I didn't realize that at the time, but looking back on it, I think that gave me great comfort. And there was a particular Sunday. I was at my grandparents' church out in the middle of Tell, Texas, which is, I think, population maybe 200. And I remember as the pastor was speaking, it was literally, I had 
a, a moment of where the gospel was fully, like I really understood everything he was saying completely for the first time. And I just longed for that relationship with Jesus. I recognized, you know, who who I was as a sinner, but also as a child of God. It, it's a, a moment that's really been imprinted in my memory at 10 years old. Mm, I love that. And just that longing. And I do think when, especially when you go through divorce, it's so, so, so traumatic. And it's such a great thing that you were able to meet him in the middle of such a trauma like that. That's such a earth shattering trauma. So fast forward a little bit and you, you know, went to high school and I think um, there's a pageant in there somewhere, maybe more than one pageant. So let us know <laughs> a little bit about that. <laughs> Uh, I have to sneak that in there. Uh, I was actually, when I was in university, I was looking for a way to pay for my master's degree. And I had a friend who really encouraged me to enter in the Miss Texas pageant. And she's like, you can wear all of my clothes. You, you know, you're already a singer. You already are involved in volunteer community work. This will be great for you. And I was like, well, you know, what's, what are some of the responsibilities and things? And she was like, well, you get free dry cleaning for the whole next year if you win. And I was <laughs> well, like, there you go. <laughs> free dry cleaning free scholarship. So, so, you know, all your tuition's paid for. So I entered in the local pageant and I won Miss Texas and I was Miss Texas 1999. And I went on and was fourth runner up at Miss America. No way. Uh, to the surprise of many. Uh, <laughs> you don't have a lot of non-pageant girls that come in and, and do well like that. But that money paid for my degree, my master's degree at Dallas Seminary, which is, they said that's a first for Dallas. <laughs> Seminary students that they received the sparkly glitter check from the Miss America organization that paid <laughs> uh, that degree. So you are just ahead of your time, and you're right. I mean, I, I was in one pageant in my life, and I did dismally. But all those other girls, they had I had no chance because they all like they had lived this since they were like zero, and I, you know, they were like one year old and one best toddler ever, whatever. So that's pretty amazing. But how cool that God used that as a way of paying for DTS. And so you're in grad school. And is that when you met your husband to be or did you meet him after that? I, we met on the very first day of orientation. So 400 <laughs> students are coming in. Chris has just gotten off the plane from Ottawa, Canada. They divided us up in, in your little welcome packet. They had a little ticket. They divided us up into groups of eight people to have lunch with. And he and I were in the same group. And neither of us thought that we were going to uh, meet our spouse at seminary. We were not looking to meet our spouse at seminary. That I don't know why that didn't enter our minds, but we were interested in each other. Like we, we had a connection right away. And for the next few months, we were in the same group of friends who hung out with each other and uh, studied together. We had the same classes every day from, from seven in the morning till late at night. And so we got to know each other a lot in that context. And, um, finally he called, he called me like, mm -hmm. so we were <laughs> two months in, I was oh, like, two months. Ah, <laughs> those Canadians. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> so reserved. <laughs> so reserved. So, so slow. <laughs> they're just so cold. That's why they're just so slow. Yeah. Yeah. It just slows things down a bit, which is good <laughs> for me. So, yeah. So we, we started talking then and dating in October of that year. We got engaged that next August and married on New Year's Eve. Uh, oh, so quick engagement. That following year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we dated for a year and two and a half months, all said. So, 
That's awesome. And then you you lived here in Texas, where I live, and he was working with a church. And so what were you both doing for the first couple of years of your marriage? Well, when we first got married, we both had one semester of seminary left. Okay, cool. So I was finishing up seminary, and I was working as a worship leader. Awesome. And then and Chris still had two and a half years of school because he did the four year master's oh, degree. He did what Patrick did. All the the languages. Yes. Did you hate Hebrew also? I was a Hebrew widow. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was like, I hate Hebrew. I <laughs> yes. So and he started during that time. We worked at the same church and we were on staff there for nine years mm. uh, in a lot of different roles. And it was um, we loved it. We loved working together and. Uh, being in ministry together, we really felt like it was a huge blessing that God had called us in that same direction together. That's really awesome. And so you were here for nine years. And then um, in that time, did you have little people? I did. I had two <laughs> little boys, um, Sterling and Kingston. Awesome. And Sterling is nine and Kingston is six. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's crazy. And so after um, after you had Sterling you experienced some things that you didn't expect probably. So what kind of, let us know what happened after you had him. I I had a high risk pregnancy. Mm. I was, um, had preeclampsia. And so it was a, it was a rough pregnancy and he was born. Uh, they ended up having to induce me a full month early. Um, but his wow. health was great and, um, he was born healthy and we were so happy to have this precious little boy and about eight months in, into him, you know, being alive <laughs> and, uh, me caring for this precious little child, I started to realize that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I went to see my doctor I had a great relationship with my family doctor and he knew that I was like someone who didn't like to take a lot of medicine and mm-hmm. I have sort of an aversion to that mm-hmm. because of some family history with problems with drugs. I, I'm very careful about any medicine that I take. And so I went to a doctor who knew that about me mm-hmm. and who um, respected that and tried to help me with that. So when I went into him, and he told me that I had postpartum depression and that I needed to take medication for that. I really trusted him because, mm-hmm. you know, first I laughed and said, <laughs> no, no, you know, I'm the one that everybody says has a great smile. I'm not <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, no, this is not possible. He said, uh, yeah, this isn't your blood levels. This is not your thyroid. This is these are your hormones. And you, without a doubt, he was very confident that's what I had. And I had also had a really good friend who um, was my small group leader at the church. And she, uh, a year before, had gone through postpartum depression. And she had decided not to take medicine for a while and it had gotten really out of control. And so she's the first person I called um, because she was the only one that I knew who had actually said, that they had this. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I just talked with her and she said, you know, if I can tell you anything, like take the medicine right away, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's, um, and I did, and it, and it really helped to sort of, you know, balance out my hormones. Sometimes I just get mad at hormones. Like, what is the deal with hormones and why do they have so much to do with the way we view the world? It's so crazy. I know, I know. And I wish we understood them more. I think that would be so helpful. <laughs> it would. It would. Maybe on the other side, we'll ask God about what in the world was that all about? 
tonal questions yes. to ask him. Why this roller coaster we're on? Besides still being mad at Eve. You know. <laughs> yeah, all the cramps, all that. Yes, <laughs> it's just unfair. So sorry to the male listeners. I know. I'm, I'm sure it's really hard for you too with your hormones, but We've you know. alienated them right now. <laughs> but uh, okay, so you, you got some medication and you started to, you know, get better. And then a few years later, you're going to be pregnant again. And did you worry that this would happen again? Or did you prepare yourself for Kingston and his arrival and that this might happen again? I did worry. I did not prepare myself. Mm. <laughs> well, that's good and honest. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> um, I really hoped that it wouldn't happen, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, um, I, I really thought maybe it'll be different this time because there's so much with hormones we don't know. Like, the, you know, they said, you know, some people, there is a higher chance, but there's a possibility that you won't. And it had been so effective at the medicine had helped me so much that I, you know, and when I'd gotten off of it a year later, I thought, well, maybe, you know, I won't deal with it. I didn't have the high risk pregnancy with Kingston. So I thought maybe that was something to do with it. And I, I was not expecting that right around the same time when he was eight months old, that I Hmm. experienced the same symptoms Wow! uh, for a second time. And that time was during a huge transition in our lives. And I felt like the medicine never really worked the same. And so I ended up not even taking it for very long because it wasn't helpful. And I tried a few different things. It was a really frustrating experience. And we were just in a position of my very best friend in the world had died of cancer. So she, uh, we found out in February and then she died in June. Mm. And then Kingston was born in August. So it was... It was a very all the way around a really hard year. And so I was thinking, you know, there are just some things that I wanted to work on just with my emotions. And so everything was just crazy. Everything was up in the air. And I spent a lot of time crying out to God during that time and asking him, you know, like why and what he wanted me to do and why the medicine wasn't helping this time. And it was it was a you know, it was a really difficult time. Sometimes it seems like trauma comes in waves. Mm-hmm. It's not just like one thing, but then one thing knocks you down and another thing knocks you down. I was reading the post of a missionary girl and she explained the same kind of thing of when you've been traumatized for whatever reason and it continues to happen, you become robotic and you begin to shut down. And mm-hmm. I think that, I think it's hard. I think we kind of tell the Lord that we expect kind of, okay, I've had enough. So now there's this expectation that he owes us some perfection for a while. No pain, no, no problem. Problems, no depression, no nothing, and yet we have to walk through these things, and it's mm. it can be bewildering sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, how much longer after this did did you guys begin to entertain the idea of going to Canada? Well, all during this time, we had actually been praying, and and God was really pointing us toward. We knew it someday that God would want us to leave and to be church planters. And we had always prayed that we would um, stay where we were with open hands and be Mm -hmm. able to leave whenever he called us. And he had been showing us some things that, that that was really happening. And so we were praying about where all over the world. We were just praying about different cities. And he had really put it on our heart, both mine and Chris's separately of each other, that it was Canada. And then we were praying specifically about cities in Canada. And so all of this was kind of around the same time mm. that, um, that these things were, that 
all of this was happening. And so, you know, so we were, uh, Kingston was two when we left Dallas and moved to Montreal. And so that gives you sort of a time frame of how that all worked, of, you know, like trying to sell our house in Dallas and mm. move to a new country, getting my permanent residency and settling here. So it was, you know, it was sort of hard to know if I was depressed or not because there was no norm. <laughs> right. You didn't know, you didn't have your feet on solid ground. And besides the fact that you were going to be going to a place that would be dark all winter long and uh, not at all like Texas <laughs> in right, terms of exactly. sunshine. <laughs> and uh, I actually grew up in Seattle. So I, I feel the pain of people that live in the North because I remember, you know, we would be like hiding underground, like moles in the dirt. And when the sun would come out once a month, we'd like crawl out of our little hole and like squint <laughs> our eyes and like, what is that white orb in the sky? So I totally get that. Um, why don't you back up just a tiny bit and, and let the listeners know how God very truly confirmed this move for you. It seemed like a supernatural event that kind of completely cemented that you were supposed to go. It really was. My my husband was driving around in downtown Dallas one day and he was just, I think he saw a, a billboard for one of the Christian radio stations and he passed like three mega churches, just this <laughs> little, um, you know, road to lunch. And he he said that what came over him was like a jealousy for Canada mm. as he grew up in Ottawa and he only knew a few Christians in his high school growing up there in, in the capital city and just how lonely that was. And he was thinking this, like, what if, like, what if Canada could have some Christian television radio station, you know, more influence and more people who love Jesus. And, and then he said that the next thing he told God as he was, you know, processing and asking what if, he said, well, you have to tell Yancey because she's from Texas and <laughs> I can't tell her that she has to, to leave. And so he just started to pray about it. And, you know, it was just this amazing thing how God put in my heart. Uh, he just gave me a heart for Canada. And I think it was through a little bit through Chris's family. Mm. And I love, um, he's the oldest of four boys, my brother and sister-in-laws, and just getting to know them and their great compassion and love for me during those difficult times. Mm. I, I just, I don't know. I feel like that gave me a love for Canada. And since I was a little girl, my mom went to Paris when I was 13. Mm. And I have been in love with the French language and culture. And so I started studying it right away. Like I, I petitioned my little Texas high school that only had Spanish as a language op option to let me take French. And they brought in these video courses for me <laughs> by myself. And it was my minor in university. Mm. And I've always loved the language. So when God started calling us to Canada. I felt really strongly that it was Montreal from the mm. very beginning. Mm. And and we did pray over all the cities in Canada, but I think it was just so clear that Montreal is the place where God was calling us. That's awesome. For the listeners of Restory Today, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their services. Now today, I suggest you try um, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life by Daniel G. Amen. I've read some other books by him that have just been revolutionary for me, so I think this um, relates to the topic of today's podcast and will just be a great thing to listen to. So you can do download that one or any other book that you've been wanting to explore at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash restory for your free audiobook. And um, so the Lord did answer your husband's prayer and God messed with you. 
and you land and it's chaotic. And I, I've been a church planter, so I know what this is like. It, there's 50,000 things going on at once and expectations and fear and pioneering and all those things that are just, and it's exhausting and you, you can't seem to get your bearings. So as you're in this journey, um, a few months in, maybe, you know, uh, maybe a little bit longer, when did you start realizing that you just weren't quite right or that something wasn't, things weren't gelling quite the way you needed them to? I think our whole first year that we lived here, I mean, just like you said, it was hard and it's, there's a lot of fear of the unknown and excitement Mm -hmm, too. mm -hmm. Um, like I've never experienced before. And and so the whole first year was kind of a blur. Even the first winter was like, we can ski. They're skiing right around us. You know, this isn't so <laughs> we bad. We can ski to work. <laughs> yeah, everybody talked about the weather. And I was just always thinking like, why, why do people talk about that so much? And it really wasn't until my second winter here that it just hit me of what you were saying about being indoors and not leaving. And I didn't leave my house for the entire month of February, wow. our second winter here, which is not my personality. Mm-mm. I didn't have a lot of relationships. I'm very social. But um, at that time, there was even some kind of a problem with our phone plan. So I didn't even have a lot of people to talk to on the phone. And mm-hmm. so I became as isolated as I've ever been before. And I just, you know, really was in a bad place. And and, and it even took us a while. It's crazy when you're in that, you would think, you know, the bells would be going off and we'd be like, oh, this is what it is. But we didn't even, I don't know if we really realized it at the time what was going on. And it was like April before I, or May before I found a doctor in Canada and then started to find someone here who could help me. So was that physician helpful to you as you shared what was going on? Did they understand what you were going through and kind of give a, a word to it? Or how did that go for you? I know you're, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different system up there than it is here. You can't just call up and see the doctor today. So how did that work for you? Yeah, it does. It takes a lot longer to get into an appointment or to find a doctor. So I feel really blessed that I have a good doctor who now is in a practice that I can go and see and, and easily get an appointment with. So sometimes that's the hardest thing is just getting in and learning a new system, right? You're in a new culture, a new country and learning that. But he, he was great for what he knew, but you know, it's the first time he's seeing me and he doesn't know me. He doesn't know my personality. And uh, my doctor in Texas had been a Christian. He went to our church, you know, and so it's it's very different, right? When you're trying to talk to someone and, uh, you know, talking about all the spiritual things that are going on too, just the uh, oppression and the, the spiritual darkness that's here in the city. And, and so all of those things factored in. And so I, I still, you know, wasn't sure again, exactly what was going on and if if it was you know necessarily just medicine that I needed to take you know mm-hmm. and so during that time I decided not to take the the medicine again because um, I wasn't sure and I hadn't been doing some of the things that I knew that I needed to be doing in my spiritual life you know and even with my physical health. I wasn't eating properly. I wasn't exercising. And, you know, when you get into depression, those are just, that's all of that is the hardest thing in the world to do, right? I decided that I really wanted to try and be sure that I was doing those things. And, uh, and, and he did, I was severely vitamin D deficient at that time. So he put me on a strong vitamin D and those kind of things. But that's what happened when I went to see him that year. 
I remember when I went to the doctor about seven times in France, the first month I was there, I was very, very sick. And she kept trying to convince me that it was culture shock. And I was like, yeah, I, I understand that that could be true, but something is wrong with me. And she's like, no, no, it's just, I see this all the time with expats. This is how it goes. And I was like, I don't, I'm, and she didn't know me from Adam. So she didn't know if I was a hypochondriac or whatever. Finally, I just said, here are my veins. I want to pee in a cup, take everything <laughs> that I have, every fluid and figure this out. And she found out that found an infection that had been there for a month. And the moment I had antibiotics, I was a whole new person. So wow. I understand, you know, that idea of, you know, if they don't know you, they don't know that you're normally a very bubbly person and that this is really weird for you to be this way. So right. you, you ate well, or you started to eat better, you exercised and um, tell us how you've been navigating the next, you know, the next steps. Well, you know, with the church plant launching, so that was all during that time in our second year here. And it's so crazy to have amazing things going on all around you. And then for you to feel like in your own self that you're, you know, just sort of crumbling. And you and I spoke with that about that when you were here this spring, summer. And um, I think, I think something you said to me really rang true. And it's, it's that sometimes when things do get established and you do have, like I was saying, what, what is wrong with me? Why am I really feel like I'm crumbling now when, um, you know, my boys are in this great school. I feel great about their education. It's the round the corner from our house. God has given us this amazing house in the city of Montreal in a neighborhood that I love. And the church is growing. We're seeing people who are um, growing in their relationship with Christ and people who are hurting or coming in. And that was just such the cry of our heart. And so with all of these wonderful things happening, why do I all of a sudden feel like I cannot do this anymore? And you said, sometimes, you know, your body just it's like it has permission. Now you may fall apart. You have held on as long as you can. And uh, I definitely feel like that's true. And But I feel like God has been very near to me um, during this time. And so since since you were here, you know, we found out, I, w- I went to the doctor and um, again, and I have severe anemia and some health problems that Uh, some things that were causing that. So all these, you know, sort of mixed up with doctors, but also really feeling like that, that this depression is, is back, that something is, is off with my hormones. And so I did start taking the medication again. And, you know, I just want to say something, because I really think people, well, I, I I won't say this for everyone, but I really wrestle with that. Like, should I take the medicine or should I not? Like, should is this a spiritual thing? And I think those are good questions to ask. But to me, one of the worst things about depression is that the shame and the guilt that we put on ourselves on top of the things that are going on in our lives. Because we think, why can't I fix this about myself? Or why can't I just think myself out of this? Or get in a good mood or pull myself up by my bootstraps, as we say, where I grew up. And I, I think that that like, compounds the um, other things that we're already dealing with. And I just, I've been really working on giving myself the freedom to say that, that I, that I am depressed, that I have depression, that um, it is not a shameful thing. I need to be kind to myself. I think those are words I've heard you say. I really like those. And so if I'm feeling tired, I'm going to just allow myself a moment to rest 
Or if I'm feeling like it's a stressful week, I'm going to not schedule as many uh, meetings or ministry appointments or things um, and, and, and not make myself feel guilty over that. And so that's something I'm really working on right now as I'm ta- also taking medication. I feel like God is very near to me. He has shown himself anew to me in this, in this time and been so close to me. He has reminded me that he is God and that I am not. The, this idea that in really looking at suffering and why we might suffer as followers of Jesus, or as just people that live on this world. And, and, and the thought that God is, uh, he's the mighty creator of the universe. And yes, terrible things do happen on this earth. And yes, there are these, you know, horrific tragedies that happen and, and that, that we wrestle with. And we say, why, why would God allow this? Why would he, why would this happen? And I, I don't think we have an answer to that. I don't think that we will. I think the way that God answered Job um, with three chapters of just reminding us of who he is and his greatness and that we might not be able to understand that. But here's what I can understand and what has really given me this just great hope is that his greatest desire as the creator of the universe is for me to love and to worship him. And he desired it so much, he could have created me as a, a robot that I would automatically fall down and pray to him and that the whole world would do that. But he didn't choose that. He chose to give us the choice to choose him. And that realization has made such a difference that he still, he longs for that, even in my suffering. And I want to give that to him, even in my suffering, especially during my suffering. Mm -hmm. And just looking at Jesus even more closely in his suffering that he endured while he was on the earth, you know? I think that empathy of Jesus is huge. You know, that he, he understands betrayal. He understands brokenness. He understands. And I'm just reading through the edits of my um, next book, Worth Living. And there's a chapter. <laughs> yes, it's exciting. Uh, there's a chapter in there about weakness and the power of weakness. And if mm. we are our own gods and we are godlike and we can do everything, then we have no need for the God who works in weakness. Our capabilities is a stiff arm to the Almighty. And so we can actually look at things like depression or bewilderment or whatever it is, or trials, we can look at them as negatives. But if you look at the Apostle Paul and you divorce yourself from the fact that we think he's this amazing, huge guy, and you read actually what he writes about, I was with you in weakness and much trembling and in fear. I did not come with eloquence of speech. He was very, very weak. He boasts in 2 Corinthians 12 about his weaknesses. Yes. And that's why he knew God. It was his weaknesses. And so this terrible thing called depression is actually a, can be a gateway, as you say, to choose him and to choose his strength. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing that in you. And I'm really excited to see, you know, the more you're walking in this journey, the more healing that will come. And I think he will create that empathy in you. And I think he already has for other people who struggle. Yes, absolutely. 
So as looking back on the story, it's not wrapped up. It's not tied up. It's not, okay, and then I lived happily ever after and I never struggle with things ever again. Um, you're in the middle of it. How has God restored and how has he given you a new story or restoried you through this battle with depression? I really do feel like he is um, opening up some doors and giving me some opportunities right now to be able to talk to other people who are wrestling with depression. Just two days ago, I met with this really precious girl who's struggling after her second child and and going through this postpartum depression and just really, you know, um, in that stage where she's willing to talk to anyone or try anything, you know, just um, fix it. I want to be better, right? Mm. And, um, And she doesn't know Jesus. And so I've been able to meet with her and and sort of point her toward him during this time and just talk to her honestly and openly about my own experiences. And I think in doing that, in talking about it more and talking with you today, and I'm seeing how God is shifting this shame and this guilt that I have had, which to me is still one of the worst things about depression is the shame and the guilt. And he is shifting that and he is restoring that part, especially to say, you know, what you just said, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I think I always thought that verse was like, you know, like my past sins, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not just my current weaknesses, like at the depth of my being of who I am, the things I continue that I cannot do well, the things that we don't want to talk about at all. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I'm seeing him shift that in my life, and I'm seeing him really uh, give me opportunities to talk to other people who are going through the same thing and just sort of share life together in that way. I love that. And I, I really appreciate what you shared about shame and this kind of self-condemnation because mm-hmm. I think we think that once we become Christians, we've got to be like super Christians and uh, that that's what God's really after. But he's not. He's a- he's after people who are like the Velveteen Rabbit, who are real, who are shabby <laughs> and uh, who are kind of messed up. But the people who are messed up um, actually know their need for him. It's the confident ones who are proud in their own ability abilities that don't need him. And so we've reversed it. We think those are the good people. Those are the people that have it all together. Those are the, you know, bastions of Christendom. Those mm-hmm. are the right ones. <laughs> when really we should be applauding the ragamuffins and there is no shame in admitting your weakness, admitting that you struggle with something, admitting that it's hard or admitting, you know, whatever. I'm just grateful when God shows up in the midst of all that. And you're right. There really is no shame in that. There's, there's only beauty and it's evident in your life. And so I'm just so grateful you're willing to share this very open journey with our listeners. And is there anything else you want to add to anyone out there who is struggling with depression? I wanted to read this, this verse because when I was reading your restory, from the website. This just stood out to me and I feel like I've been reading it very often from Isaiah 61. And it just, it's, you know, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord, Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor 
and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion and bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I think that's a great, those verses, that's Isaiah 61, it's verses 1 to 3. And those verses are full of hope for what God has for us, not not only in that, that he sees you. So this is what I would say is God sees you in the middle of your despair and of your depression. And, and he loves you. He cares for you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care for you. And just could you be open to the possibility that he could do something good out of this? that He sees you, He loves you, and that He even is sending people right now to bind up the brokenhearted, right? Like He's sending people out um, to proclaim freedom and to release from darkness for the prisoners. And there's great hope in that. And I think in the things that we can find hope in, even the smallest thing, when, when you're in the middle of the worst parts of depression, we ought to have those things all around us, write them down, carry them around, mm-hmm. you know. I love that. And I, I love the two part of that verse is that he does all those things for us. And then as we experience that kind of comfort, then we are become his ambassadors of comfort in the world. So we yes. become the emancipators through the, you know, the strength of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just you're healed to be a healer. You're blessed to be a blessing. You're set free to emancipate others. It's, it's this amazing forward restoring effort that God does. Well, Yancy, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. It's been awesome. And I cannot wait to hear all the comments from people and change lives. So thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Restory. Mind if I pray for you? Oh, dear Jesus, there are so many people walking around on this earth who have battled this beast called depression. And I know I've had so many run-ins with it and... It can be bewildering. You can have shame associated with it and all the things that Yancey talked about today. So Father, I pray for release. I pray for relief. I pray for a lifting. I pray for discernment. I pray for good, good friends to come alongside those of us who struggle. I pray that you would give wisdom and insight into how to address any issues we have if we're battling depression. I just thank you that it, it doesn't mean that we have less faith. I thank you that it's not, it's not evil or bad in that sense, that this is just something that people deal with. I just speak grace over my audience today, just great amounts of grace and peace and joy, all those fruits of the Spirit that we so desperately need. And Lord, if there's someone listening today who just feels really desperate, I pray that you would send folks into their lives, real folks, you with skin on, to hug them, to lead them, to pray with them, to come alongside, to encourage, and to bring wisdom and to shoulder any burdens. Because Lord, we just cannot do this by ourselves. We can't. We need you and we need your body on this earth. So thank you. Thank you for understanding. I thank you that you are a man of sorrows who understands what it must have been like 
when you were in the Garden of, the, of Gethsemane and you were praying so hard and with such anguish that you dripped sweat of blood and you understand what that may be like. You, you understand what it feels like to be at the end of our rope. So thank you that you are the great Savior who understands. We entrust our lives to you today. We want to get well. We hope to get well. We trust that you will lead us to new places in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and extended information, please go to RestoryShow.com forward slash five. And may you live a brand new story this week.